The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and, dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took his wife into his home. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, today we get to hear about uh, Joseph's interaction kind of with and direction from God. It seems pretty simple, right? You know, if you ever wonder what, you know, God's plan is for you, just wait until an angel appears in your dream and you're good to go, right? Yeah, it's pretty easy to communicate with God, right? That's the way that most of us get to communicate with God, right? Um, Not quite, right? Actually, it's very difficult, I would say, Most of us, one of the greatest difficulties in our spiritual life is understanding, God, what do you actually want me to do, right? You know, I'm I'm open to to what you might have in my life, but, but, you know, I I don't really see any path. I don't really know what you want, and so I can't really follow what I don't know, right? We kind of have this difficulty in terms of understanding it. But we do get little glimpses every once in a while, right? We know that we're not supposed to sin, right? We know that we're supposed to do good and, and do ch- you know, charity, right? Honor our father and mother, right? We have the certain commandments, and, but it's kind of like, how do we live it out in the day-to-day? And there's a great kind of difficulty and tension in the midst of it. Well, it happens in our spiritual life. Uh, it happens in the way in our relationship with God. Uh, But it also happens, uh, and we kind of see, and I hope to unpack it a little bit, we also see that happening in Scripture. We don't really understand or know what God's plan really is. Now, today we heard a a prophecy actually three times. We heard the same prophecy in three different times. First was in the first reading from Isaiah in the Old Testament, written around 800 B.C., 800 years before Christ. At towards the end of kind of the uh, uh, Israelite kingdom, where Ahaz is the king. And a prophecy is given. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, sh- and shall name him Emmanuel. Then that same prophecy is used for the gospel acclamation, which was between the Alleluias, right? And then we heard it again in the gospel today, which is written by Matthew, talking about Jesus' birth. Now, it seems pretty straightforward, right? We've heard this prophecy a whole bunch of times, and we're like, yep, yeah, uh, 
Virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. Sounds great. Um, except for one thing that always kind of confused me a little bit was like, well, did the prophecy really be, was it really fulfilled in Jesus? Because they say that they'll name Emmanuel, but yet his name is Jesus, right? So that's kind of the first thing that kind of always kind of confused me a little bit. And then when I was in uh, college, I, uh, my sophomore year of college, was starting, I was starting to dig in a little bit more during the Advent season. And so I was reading about this prophecy and I, I was, uh, wanted to just actually look in the Bible where it said it. And so I cracked open uh, the Bible uh, that I had and went to Isaiah chapter 7. And, and read the prophecy instead of saying, Behold, the virgin shall, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. It's actually said, Behold, a young maiden shall conceive and bear a son. And I thought, well, that's, that's a big difference between virgin and, and young maiden, right? I mean, that's kind of a, a, a big difference in the midst of it all. And actually, I had, to, I had to ask the priest, and I was like, hey, what's up with this? And he didn't, he didn't really know. He wasn't really that concerned. I was like, no, no, this is a big deal, right? Is, is this prophecy, what is this prophecy, right? What is it? And so he gave me a book. They have big, huge books that basically break down the scriptures and talk about all the different things behind it. All the different, uh, the time period, what language it was written in, what the different interpretations are, what we kind of know about it. And so I, I broke it open. And in that, I found, which I didn't really understand before, even though that I probably knew, was that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, right? The Hebrew people, they spoke in Hebrew. Then around 200, to eight, 200 BC, there's actually this Hellenistic Greek uh, culture. And so the Israelite people are stopping. They're not speaking Hebrew anymore. And so they actually translate scripture, the Old Testament, into Greek. And they have this uh, tradition that this is how the Septuagint, which is uh, the Greek version of the Old Testament, that 70 scholars of the law of scripture went into a room and they all translated separately And then they came out a few days later with the exact same translation in Greek. Probably didn't happen, but something to that effect where where there was an official kind of Greek translation from the Hebrew. What we see is actually when we start to study the Hebrew and the Greek is actually we see many differences. Differences that, that aren't irreconcilable. It's not like as if they say something is you know, completely different, but just little bits. And this is actually where we start to see this difference in the Old Testament, where in, um, in Hebrew, we see the word for, for virgin or young maiden is Alma, which means girl, but it, it, there's not really a good translation into English exactly of it. So even when we translate from Hebrew into English, it really doesn't quite work. We don't quite get the sense of it, okay? So now, to bring, even more, to bring the confusion into it, is that the Hebrew, when it's translated into the Greek Septuagint, it translates into the Greek Parthenos. Now, at 200 B.C., Parthenos kind of meant young maiden. But over 200 years, the meaning of the word changed, or at least this is what they they kind of think happened, is that the meaning of the word changed so that when uh, Jesus and when Matthew was written, 
um, which would have been in the early church within the first 100 years of Christianity, right? First 100 years, 100 AD. It would have been written and it would have been uh, understood and still is understood and kind of as the word that it means virgin. Now, young maiden and virgin aren't irreconcilable, right? A young maiden might be a virgin, right? But it's kind of different, right? For me, studying that, it actually kind of threw me into a little bit of a crisis of faith. I was like, wait, what is true, right? I mean, because we take the scripture as the word of God, right? If this is God communicating to us and we make mistakes in it, right? Where we interpret something that's not really there, right? We see something in it that's not really what God intended. Well, what are we doing? Are we just making up our own thing and and reading things into things that God didn't really intend? Or is this what God intended? For Catholics, I think we have a way to unpack this. But if we're only a people of the book, we have some problems. It's one of the reasons why other religions of the book, Islam, Judaism, and I would also say most Protestant denominations, non-Catholic Christians, are people of the book where they, if there's something wrong with the book, that there's a big problem. It's one of the reasons why Islam only allows the Quran to be read in Aramaic, right? What was written in. They don't, they don't take official translations because the translation, you always miss something, right? And then it's no longer the book. It's no longer the word of God. Same thing with Judaism. Even though that they did allow translations, now they, they only, when, they, when you go to a synagogue, at least most synagogues, it's, you're going to be praying in Hebrew. Why? Because as soon as you change that, you start to change the meaning, and, and you know, problems start to happen. In Protestantism, it can be uh, really difficult because there's no, like, what's the translation? And so actually, when that translation, the, the, the translation that I actually read about that said young maiden, that was translating the Hebrew instead of the Greek into English, there was actually in the 1950s, when that was first translated, a few Protestant pastors that preached against it and actually burned a few of the Bibles, saying that this is, fr- this is horrible, this isn't God's word, right? You're trying to make an abomination of God's word. And it's like, well... Actually, it's, it's just actually good scripture scholars. You know, it's actually good, uh, but, but there's, there's more there. So how do we interpret it? Well, I think this is where we start to get into how does it apply to ourselves, right? How do we understand that God's working in this? Is this an abomination? Is this where we just read into something and changed it arbitrarily and now have a tradition that isn't really there? Or... What I think is beautiful about this possibility is that actually the Holy Spirit is working in all of those translations, all of our understandings and our interpretations over tradition, over the years. That when Isaiah first spoke it in the 800s, yes, it was a young maiden. And it was fulfilled, some people think, by Amos's, uh, Amos's uh, son that he had a son that was conceived around this time that he kind of fulfilled that and he was a really good king, right? Kind of what happened right there. But then it was more fulfilled in the fact that God fulfills his promises in many ways, ultimately and fully with Jesus Christ. 
That this kind of mistranslation was not really a mistranslation, but a working once again of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of Scripture. And that when Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew, that he, in fact, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to actually bring about a greater understanding of what this prophecy was. That didn't contradict the previous uh, prophecy, but in fact made it fuller. Now, this is incredibly important for us as Christians because Scripture doesn't tell us everything about God the Father, doesn't tell us about everything about heaven and hell and purgatory, or it doesn't tell us everything about the saints or about how to worship God or about the Mass or about the Eucharist or even about Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But it's actually in the early church where we start to interpret Scripture and start to form and start to come together as a community that actually things are unpacked. That the Holy Spirit starts to work and actually take these small things, these small prophecies, and starts to help us to unpack them in a greater way so that we're able to say that Jesus Christ is consubstantial with the Father, which is a really big word, just means that he's the same as the Father. He's light from light. True God from true God, right? Those things aren't explicitly within Scripture, but they are unpacked through the Holy Spirit and tradition coming out of the Word of God. Now, for ourselves, we hear the Word of God in Scripture. We hear the Word of God in His call for our life. We hear the Word of God in maybe certain moments of peace or inspiration that we've received from Him. But I just say that even though that we understand it to a certain extent at one point, that God wants to continue to work more with that. That Initially, I think one of the the ways that perhaps some of you have experienced, right, is God's call to you into the holy sacrament of matrimony. And when you first proposed and you first got married, you understood marriage in a certain way and maybe hopefully in the way that God was calling you to love your spouse and grow in virtue and love of God as well in that family. But I hope that also God's you know, call and his, his continual call for you actually has continued to grow within the, holy, within the sacrament of holy matrimony. That actually God's prophecy, God's direction for your life in your marriage, it hasn't uh, been contradicted, right? Your love isn't the same as when it started. It is different. It's not in opposition, but it has grown and perhaps come to a fuller appreciation for what the sacrament is. God wants to continue to work in our life, to continue to come to a fuller understanding of what His plan for us is. May we be open to that. Be open to that in the way that we continue to encounter Scripture, knowing that God has more, for, more in the Word of God than what we just see with our first look. And that he also has more for us in prayer, more for us in, his, in our relationship with him and with the sacraments than what we first see. God is rich. He is difficult to understand. Um, I'll admit that. Uh, but he does communicate with us. He does want us to continue to be inspired and continue to grow. And he does continue to work today just as he did 2,000 years ago 
when he was conceived by Mary and was born of a child.